Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, back again here today on the number one value investing podcast in the world, online, not sitting next to you, but on air with my co-founder, Jeffrey Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. If this is the first time that you're tuning in with Jeff and myself, we are recording. This is going to be our second episode on air uh, from our remote uh, locations, both at our own homes. Jeff is in Plano, Texas. I'm in Dallas, Texas. We are not working next to each other right now just to take precautions because of everything that's going on uh, with the coronavirus. Dallas, I think it was uh, a couple days ago, or was it last week? Uh, no, it was at the beginning of the week. They shut down all the bars, uh, the gyms. Um, um, uh, you know, restaurants and pretty much everything in Dallas. So I'm going a little bit stir crazy. Did a workout in my apartment again yesterday, um, and you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's been definitely an interesting time today. Again, uh, markets were pretty volatile, and I don't want to make this show really about like daily movements in the stock market. But again, like I said yesterday, I do think that there's just so much going on in the world and pretty much minute by minute. Um, so I think until further notice, until basically Jeff and I are working next to each other again, we're going to be doing these um, podcasts Monday through Friday. Uh, really right around 3.30 is when we'll record. So it should be up by 6 o'clock p.m. Central Time. And we're really just going to try to make it as actionable as possible and bring everybody uh, really just good information and try to make the content as best as possible. So again, if you know the content, maybe the, the voice is different or the quality is not as good. Um, we're just going to be, you know, kind of rolling with it and doing the best that we can. Uh, if this is the first time you're tuning in with us on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up, five videos coming at you a week on everything markets. Um, and then of course, follow me on Twitter, which is the best place to get all the content that we put out, which is at focused compound on Twitter. So Jeff, Today yes. in the markets, it's been a little bit volatile. It looks like uh, I have that SPX, this SP500 uh, on my screen. Looks like we close up about 47 basis points. I know you don't really care about daily swings. I know a lot of people probably don't care about daily swings as well. But I think um, you know a 60-point move in the markets is becoming a normal thing, which is interesting. It's like when we're only up 47 bips or down 47 bips, we're like, wow, we're flat just because of these crazy moves. And it was fun. I actually saw Jim Cramer. I think I, I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning and he gets up really early. I think he gets up at probably like 3 a.m. And he's the one I always see when I first wake up, if I wake up early, tweeting. And he was tweeting about the futures last night, apparently, uh, the e mini S&Ps. I don't know if they were crashing or whatever. And then, you know, they rallied. And he was pretty much saying this futures market is just like crazy, like it's dumb in a way. And, you know, I thought it was funny because, you know, I was thinking, I was like, well, of course, you know, the futures are going to move around like crazy. It's because we have a VIX at like, what, 70 now? So that just tells you that there's just going to be so much volatility in the markets. But um, so, yeah, we ended up 47 basis points. Um, you know, there was some stuff that came out. Obviously, the, the White House is doing a daily briefing on the coronavirus and just other things every single day. 
Um, one thing that Jeff and I are doing as well is we are sending out weekly emails, uh, daily emails, I'm sorry, five times a week, Monday through Friday. This is the Focus Compounding Daily. And then we're going to actually call this podcast the Focus Compounding Daily Podcast. That's what you want to call it, right, Jeff? Yeah, for now. We'll keep yeah. doing the emails. Uh, the emails will be a permanent thing. The podcast, Focus Compounding Daily Podcast, will be temporary. It'll be whenever. Uh, stop whenever Andrew and I get back to recording together. But we are doing a daily email, which will go on indefinitely. Yeah, and I think the the structure of how we want to host the podcast is really go over stuff from the email because there's content that we are sending out. Somebody or, or often people write into Jeff just asking questions on stocks in general. And if he thinks it would be actionable and worthy of other people uh, reading the information, we're just going to send it out through the email. So it's typically just a question and an answer, which we will go over. To be able to ask Jeff a question of your own on this email, uh, you can go to this ask Jeff a question of your own on the uh, at the bottom of the email. But the way to sign up for this is just go to focuscompound.com and on the homepage, you'll see a spot to enter in your email. And this is a free email. Uh, you'll have some links from me on just some stuff that I thought was interesting throughout the day. And then you'll also get some content from Jeff as well. But I think the way that we want to structure these podcasts podcast is we'll go over this topic or the content from the email. We will go over any uh, any sort of news from the day that we think is interesting. And then we really want to leave uh, the podcast with something that's actionable and practical as possible. So we'll also maybe throw in there some stocks and stuff that we are looking at um, and stuff that we just find interesting. I think that's the best way to go about it. So today, um, you know, some links that I included in the email, I think one of the most important things is Trump. He wants direct payments of a thousand dollars for adults. I don't know if you heard that, Jeff. Thousand dollars for every adult, and then five hundred dollars for kids. Um, you know, for the coronavirus stimulus bill. We'll see if that actually gets you know put through, and if that actually becomes a thing. But again, like I said yesterday, Jeff, I really feel like we're moving or we're living in a movie. I mean, this is absolutely wow. insane. And one thing I was thinking about last night is in two thousand and eight, when we had the financial crisis. Yes, things really slowed down, but that was a fiscal issue that they could fix with stimulus. The scary thing now, and what we talked about yesterday, was the economy just coming to like a full-on stop, right? And how do you fix that? I mean, um, you know, people potentially aren't still going out and spending money, where in 2008, when all that was still happening, people were probably still spending money. It's not like the economy came to like a full on stop. And, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. Um, but it's just an interesting time that we're living in. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on on uh, $1,000 for adults and $500 for kids? Uh, <laughs> I think it should be politically easy to uh, pass. I don't see any problem with that. Uh, like I said the other day, I mean, it's the direct payments aren't a very big item compared to the likely decline in GDP in like a single quarter or something. I don't know that this will be as bad a um, recession as happened in 2008, but certainly the initial part of it will uh, be worse in, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I thought was interesting during the press release, I'm sorry, during the White House briefing was that they asked him about stock buybacks and he was saying that he's not for buybacks. He, he's not happy that these companies were buying back their stock. I don't know if that's out of context that I'm saying it, but from watching the clip, I thought that was kind of funny because it seemed like he really loved stock, stock buybacks when we were you know, going up and stuff like that. Uh-huh. You know, I'm yeah. actually get. We you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to frame 
that stock chart. Did you see the stock chart that he signed after? So what was it last Friday, maybe or Monday? I forget. So last Friday, I think the market crashed. And then was it the next day? So maybe it was Monday, then this Monday or one of those days. I'm probably getting the days mixed. I I feel like I've been working. I feel like we're only in March and I feel like we've been, you know, six months in or eight months in. Uh Um, But he signed the stock chart saying that it was the like the greatest percentage gain in a day in stock market history. Did you see that? No, I did not see that. Oh my gosh, it was hilarious because it was like after the stock crash, or after the market crash, and after we were down thirty percent from all time highs or whatever, he signed the freaking stock chart, and then the next day the market sold off. So I'm gonna frame that. I'm just gonna look at that every day. I thought it was incredible. Yeah, that's one thing we could talk about a little bit. Um, the biggest increases in the stock market are not usually in bull markets; they're in bear markets, and they're usually coming off a very big decline. So. I mean, I've talked about this before, but now I think people like are actually doing the um, going back and looking at it. But everything is centered in like 1929, 1932, uh, 1987, uh, and then like 2008 or so. And today, he signed it. And then the next day, I think we we like pretty much gave it all back. But I was like, holy smokes, this guy is we're living in a simulation here. Like this is this is not real. This is a parody. Like, is he? trolling the whole world i don't understand it i mean it, it was insane well, i couldn't believe that he, he did speak at that part where you saw it if you watch what happened the market was uh, basically uh not up at all and then it uh went up quite a bit while he was talking they really liked uh whatever he said that day um but then of course the next day uh, they didn't it's just almost like He's making it too easy for for SNL skits and stuff. I just I don't I don't get it. But um, yeah, I'm gonna frame that and then I'm gonna put the next day below it because I thought that was so funny. I couldn't believe it. I remember my dad sends me a text of that picture and his response his text with it was he is a jackass. That literally is what he said, and I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. But okay, moving on. Um, so the next thing that we have in the the email, and again, you can get this email by going to focuscompound.com, enter in your email, and then you'll get this Monday through Friday or a version of this. Um, is we included some interesting stock write ups that we had uh, read recently. Jeff actually just sent these to me. Uh, Vimed Healthcare VMD. That stock uh, was written up on also focus compounding but smr investments smrfinvestments.com this was a write-up that jeff follows um again we also have this write-up on focus compounding which i believe is on the premium side of things but it's a pretty extensive write-up right. uh, and those are two those are two different write-ups so just so you know the yeah. author of smrf investments has it up on his blog and separately um there was a write-up there that's chosen reed hudson did for uh, focus compounding that's up there. So you could read both of those if you if you want to, or I don't know if the the Biomed one for us is a uh, behind a paywall, but you can certainly read the blog one. The other one that I thought was interesting is Madison Square Garden. That's from yep. one of my favorite blogs. Yeah. yeah, Clark Street Value, Madison Clark Square Garden. Garden. This is a company that we looked at. Uh, well, we looked at MSGN a long mm-hmm. time ago. Um, but um, yes, so that write up is on there as well. So I think yeah. in the email we'll, we'll include. 
links of just stuff that we think is interesting. Could be like I said, news for the day that we think is interesting or other stock write-ups. Uh, but let's roll into the question. So what what stocks will bounce the most if stock prices recover in the next six to 12 months? And I think this is a question that's on a lot of people's minds, obviously, yeah. uh, because so many stocks have just uh, sold off so much and are incredibly cheap. Dave and Buster's, that's a stock that we talked about the other day. I think it was up 75%. Today. I was just going to bring that up. Look at this. <laughs> 75, 76%. Yeah. Insane. Now, I mean, granted, I mean, $3 is two cents trading, it's, you know, it's about, still down about or whatever. it's still down about 75% from where you a know, lot of people asked about it. I, I can't believe this number right here. The market cap, 199 million is that market cap. Yeah. I mean, incredible. And, and we've talked about it. And I mean, not only do they have operating leverage through leases and, and stuff like that, but they also have debt, uh, which is, yeah. you know, probably why a lot of investors are uh, worried about it. But yeah, let's go into it. So you said that- So uh, I just want to point out, someone asked the question, literally, what stocks will bounce the most if prices recover in the next six to 12 months? What I answered is that the stocks that are closest to bankruptcy will, and that those are companies that are directly affected and have a combination of high operating leverage and financial leverage. And so these are not stocks that I advocate buying because they're incredibly risky. But there's stocks that literally, this is true, this group of stocks will be the ones that jump the most if they don't go to zero. Yeah. Sure. I mean, could you make a case? Like, I was talking to a buddy about this. I don't even know how we got on the topic. But you know how, like, venture capital, they they typically structure their portfolio, how they know maybe one or two are going to hopefully make it bid, big and, and you know, the rest are um, going to fail. It's almost like I wonder if you could really do, like, distress investments in this type of environment, uh, really just because the moves have been so crazy. And you build a portfolio thinking, and obviously we wouldn't do this for the firm, but just I'm just kind of curious about the topic in general. You build a portfolio of these companies that have just gotten slaughtered that could potentially be on uh, sort of the brink of bankruptcy, and you structure it to where even if you know three or two of um, you know the stocks or the companies don't go BK, you know you could you can make a lot of money. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah, so they're like I, I don't know if it's 15 stocks or so. There's something like that. Obviously, you could put one percent into each, two percent into each, three percent into each, and have a portfolio that's 15, 30, like or more like a speculative thing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's possible. I don't know. There's also bonds for some of these stocks, and there's also leaps. So all cruise lines have leaps. I assume all airlines have leaps, um, and uh, some cruise lines have publicly traded bonds. Last I heard, Royal Caribbean's 2022 bonds would return uh, definitely more than 10% and more like 20% a year uh, compounded just from getting to par value. So getting back to 100 cents on the dollar, not counting any interest that you'd also collect during that time if you just bought them and they actually matured at the um, value that they were expected to. So if there was no impairment of those bonds, then you know you could make stock-like returns. You could make over 20% a year or something or close to 20% a year um, just in their bonds. Uh, they're not the safest cruise line. And I don't know that those bonds are the safest part of the capital structure, but if they get bailed out or something by other things, I mean, like take the airlines, the airlines are asking for direct aid just in the sense of give us money plus loans. And that's being considered. So just giving them money actually helps them uh, stay alive for a while longer. I still think all the airlines that you see there, Southwest, Delta, American United, JetBlue would all, even with the aid being discussed by, um, 
now, if that was all they were going to get, I, I would assume they will all be out of business before the end of September, certainly. So six months from now, I still think, and I think it could be quicker than that, even with the aid. So uh, I expect like everything on this list, I expect to default. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we should probably just read off what's there. Yeah. yeah. David, and, and do you want to check some of the tickers to give an idea yeah, of how cheap these are? Yeah. I think I actually have a lot of these. Um, yeah. But I just want to give them an idea of what I mean by how cheap. For instance, the ones that are insane would be like um, National Cinemedia and uh, Cedar Fair, because those are heavily indebted companies that pass through all of their earnings as dividends. So the yields on them, if you look at what they're paying last, uh, last dividend, if you take their last dividend and assume that they'd actually pay it, which they won't now, uh, gives you yields that are way above um, anything else like that. Like, there you go. What's the yield on that? 20-something percent? Uh, yeah, 23%. percent yeah, so, percent yeah. Yeah. And National Cinemedia, I think, is similar. And they own great assets. So National Cinemedia is basically the company that advertises about half of all the screens in America in terms of the movie theater screens. It's it uh, 63%. Yeah, but it still yields 25%. Yeah. Yeah. So of course it's not going to yield anything. Uh, They they have debt. So does uh, so does Cedar Fair. And but Cedar Fair owns a bunch of parks that are great assets if things recover. I just don't. What I've said before with these things is um, these businesses will exist. Uh, Let me see. Is there anything on this list I don't think will exist? No. I I don't even believe that Dave and Buster's will close every Dave and Buster's location and the name will go away. So I think every single stock that I see there that I listed. I believe will continue as a business in some form. I just don't know if it'll be owned by banks, bondholders, uh, or the current shareholders, mm-hmm. or the yeah, government. So, yeah, I mean, we could go through to Dave and Buster's. Um, you know, current dividend yield is is seven percent, but yeah, I mean, hundred. Well, what was the, P, the Yeah, the PE on it was less than two yesterday. It's now three. Yeah, yeah, and Dave and Buster's grows a lot and stuff in normal times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Carnival. You know, uh, especially those the price to book. So, for instance, uh, the cruise lines are all at big discounts to their book value. Of course, the problem is their book value consists mostly of um, it consists entirely of cruise assets, and sure. it mostly consists of cruise ships, which normally have good value in liquidation and to borrow against. But um, if everyone tried to get out at the same time, wouldn't. Same thing with uh, airlines. If they own their airplanes, most of those airlines don't own a lot of them. But uh, the, you know, an airplane leaser, lesser, uh, would fall into that same category if. They end up holding a lot of planes. In normal times, you might be able to borrow against those planes or sell them. But if no one wants any planes, then that collateral isn't really able to be turned into cash or anything. Uh, so you can't, even though things like Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, and stuff like that might even be at levels that are below their liquidation value, uh, you can't liquidate them now. Uh huh. I mean, and wouldn't you say the main case for all this is companies that just have a ton of debt as well? Yeah, so that's the financial leverage, but it, you need the operating leverage too, because if you can shut down without keeping, um, with, if you can basically have a large drop in revenue without a large drop in uh, in your earnings, then you're better off. So, like for instance, Carnival Royal Caribbean Norwegian, they are can they obviously don't have to buy fuel. Um, but their big thing is that they have a lot of assets with a lot of interest payments on it. As an example, like Carnival Record in Norwegian, to my knowledge, none of them have had any operating losses in at least over 10 years. And it's not cruise companies normally don't have any operating losses. They're like railroads. So it's all covering their debt. That's the problem. Um, 
all of these fall into that same category. Dave and Buster's. Dave and Buster's has like the the contribution from additional people coming in. You know, you know how the arcade business works. You know, um, alcohol has high gross margins. Uh, food has okay gross margins, and arcade has incredible gross margins. They can some of these things. They have eighty percent gross margins on arcade stuff. So if you don't have people playing, then that the, what goes away is an incredible amount of profit relative to your revenue. So a small drop in revenue for any of these companies causes huge drops in earnings and, in fact, huge losses for them in terms of balance sheet destruction. I, yeah. I was just going to ask you – those good uh, good ears, Chef. Uh, I was going to ask you, what are your thoughts? So a lot of people are saying this uh, on Twitter, and I'm just curious to hear your thoughts because I know you probably haven't come across this. Maybe you have. What are your thoughts on people saying that the argument of value versus growth going forward is going to be dead? Because in this situation, it didn't matter if it was a value stock or what, everything just got destroyed. No, value will do a lot better than growth now. Um, a lot better. It, the, it depends on what you mean by value. Yes, everything falls together. The correlation goes to one in a panic. That's phase one. Phase two is a bear market, uh, which the two don't really, I mean, so for how long these things go on? So like, let's say 2008 financial crisis, we say. The 2008 financial crisis, as I remember, it started around the middle, a little bit earlier than the middle of 2007, when certain things tied to subprime um, mortgages were clearly going to go under and stuff. So that it then continued till about maybe 15 months later or so. So in the fall of 2008, into a climax with like um, you know different things, especially Lehman failing, um, and then you continued after that till about. The maybe March or so of 2009, with stocks not recovering yet, and then from that point they hit their bottom and started recovering after that. So it was maybe 18 months the whole thing. And what people remember is a short period of time now in 2008, but it was several months till the stock market was at its bottom there, and it was um, a long time after their first started being problems. If you go back to 2000, uh, a lot of the famous value investors we know today had really good records in the early 2000s. It was very easy for me to invest in the early 2000s. Uh, very, very easy. So a lot of these things, like all the companies we're looking at here, even if they survive and exist in some form, uh, they're going to have to be recapitalized or something. If they're not recapitalized, uh, they won't exist, I don't think. And even if they are recapitalized, they're going to have a lot of debt, which will make it hard for them to grow and things like that. So some companies will come out of this with pristine balance sheets, and some companies will come out of this with balance sheets that are going to limit their ability to grow for a very long time. That's part of why you can have a panic turn into a recession that goes on for a while. Uh huh. But then what about just value versus growth, though? I would expect value to greatly outperform growth in the up part of uh, – Generally, what, what value would do really well, so first of all, I don't think value did worse than normal in this bull market. I think growth just did better than normal. And secondly, I think that in general, when value does really well is like at the period after 1932, which was the worst part for the U.S. stock market then, at the period after, say, 1974 or something, which was 72 to 74, something was kind of the worst period. Um and then after uh, the 2000, you know, after 1999 peak, um, and after the financial crisis, it's the later stages that are a problem. So the very earliest stages of a bull market would be very good for value stocks. And I would think that, you know, if there if stocks hit a bottom in 2020 or 2021 or something, then 2022 and 2023 would probably be very good for value compared to growth. 
Um, a lot of growth stocks aren't that cheap now, and we can go through value stocks that have very low P. I mean, stocks that have P's of two, three, four, and have net cash, they exist now, um, will have incredible runs over the next you know 10 years or something. They'll outperform growth names. Uh-huh. Got it. Got it. Cool. Well, you went through uh, the rest of this email, and you answered it and went over your thoughts. Um, do you have any other thoughts on this email before we jump into the next segment? Nope, that's it. Okay, perfect. And like I said, for everybody that wants to be able to ask Jeff a question, I think, Jeff, you said you respond to basically every email that comes through, right? I do respond to every email. Not every email is going to get a long response that turns into a podcast type thing. Some of my email responses are basically, uh, I don't have an answer for that because I don't know any more than you do about that topic. You know, Got it. Yeah, got it. So you're going to get 10,000 plus emails. Good job. But if you wanted to be able to do that, <laughs> uh, click this Ask Jeff a Question on your own email. And of course, to get this in your mailbox every single day, go to focuscompound.com on the homepage, and then you can um, enter in your email. So the last part of the, uh, each podcast, the Focus Compound Daily Podcast, um, is we want to bring something actionable. And a gentleman... Uh, sent in an email asking about Games Workshop, which is a stock that has been right up on the website before. I know you've spoken about it, Jeff. And I know you mm-hmm. have done some research on it. And I figured maybe we could spend some time just going over it. Maybe let's see if we could pull up a stock chart right now to see what has um, gone on within the company. Yeah, I did see it was down today. Uh, have you looked at the business recently? I have been looking at the business a lot recently. This is the kind of thing. Have been? Lo- I have. I have. Yeah. Wow. It's very wow, expensive. So- it's very expensive, and it didn't drop initially as much as you might expect. Just so people know how this it works, Games Workshop is basically Warhammer Forty Thousand. It, it also is Warhammer generally. It's a tabletop gaming thing. Jeff is excited. Okay, it's a tabletop gaming thing <laughs> that uh, people play in person, and that is mo- is largely sold or it's facilitated a lot through one uh, often one man um, stores that are in locations. There's one right here by me, um, where they try to get you involved in the game and stuff. And it's a small retail shop. And that tries to increase the um, purchasing of miniatures, which is where they make all their money. But then they play against each other. The closest thing I can mention for most people thinking about this uh, would probably be if they're familiar with like um, Dungeons and Dragons or something like that. If you know that, if you've seen Stranger Things or something like that, there's a similarity in terms of how the game is played to that, like that it's communal and that it's sold through only certain stores and things. It's different in terms of what the game actually is, these miniatures that they play with. But um, the problem for like right now is that it's played in person in small groups, but also it's sold entirely through retail stores. Uh, not entirely, but it's sold a lot through retail stores, or at least that's how people get in- in- introduced to the game. Lots of things you can buy other ways over time. And the other thing is a small community of people total that actually play it, but they spend large amounts of money on it. So you might want to compare it to like an online game with like large amounts of uh, downloadable content and stuff where a small number of people are actually paying hundreds of dollars a year or something for it. So it's a terrific business, has great IP. I've always liked the business. Juan and I were going to write it up years ago and decide not to because of the former CEO. We thought it was just the most undermanaged entertainment property we were familiar with at all. And uh, we turned out to be right about that. We didn't buy the stock though. Because when the new CEO came in, I don't know if you have, uh, if you can find any uh, financial numbers, maybe in that write-up, you can see what happened to the stock when the new CEO came in and changed some things in those last couple of years there. So if you go down, likely if you look at growth, maybe growth would be the easiest thing to see. Their um, revenue growth and stuff, we can see that uh, each year. Yeah, yeah. I just got to go back this way. Got it. So the last few years, you can see what happened to revenue growth. Revenue growth had been. 
flat to negative for three, four, about five or six or seven years in a row, they hadn't grown revenue at all. And then they started growing it by what is that 30% or more a year? Yeah, 34%. And then the year after that was 39% in 2018. And that sounds shocking and amazing. And how can that ever be repeated? But honestly, looking at the business before they did it, we were like, they could easily grow this by that amount. Um, It just had a look at that free cash flow conversion. Yeah, and the company has a history of paying out every dollar of free cash flow that's truly free, that they see as truly free, as a dividend. You can look at like maybe their return on capital or something. Do you have that? Uh, free cash flow divided by NTA would be a good one. Yeah, so free right cash there. flow divided by NTA is uh, basically owner earnings divided by net tangible assets. As you can see, it's incredible. And so this is a business that I love. Now, I don't know if it was temporary, the um, big increase that they had, because they put out new... Um, different things like new rules and new books and things that are tied to the content. The the company makes all their money on the miniatures. So um, it's actual profits come from that, but you have to feed the the IP has to be fed as a, by um, coming out with new rules, new um, even new things like they have tie in novels and things to stuff. Just, you have to grow the IP and uh, the sort of the way that like Disney's consumer products might make them a lot of money, but you can't just come out with a bunch of, um, you know, uh, stitch toys or something if you don't come out with a movie in which stitch is in. And so that kind of thing really helped out here a lot. And they did a lot of things that we expected. They also like were expanding the place where they make these uh, miniatures by quite a bit. So that was telling you the company, although they didn't think they grow at this incredible rate for a really long time, they thought there was even more growth beyond that. And obviously, growth here is incredibly profitable, right? Like, you know, uh, what are the gross margins of this company, just to give people an idea? Um, let's see. He's got 71%, 72%, 68%, yeah. 68%. I mean, even in the years where, you know, they weren't, uh, the revenue growth wasn't exceptional. Uh, their gross margins have always been incredible. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it, it's one of my favorite uh, companies in entertainment stuff, if you want to call it that, in general. I just think it's amazing. And I think it would be, it would be a good addition to lots of different companies in the world who would probably want to own it. Um, it occasionally had spikes because it did some other stuff I didn't like as much. One big one that happened in the stock a long time ago is it got licenses to do all the um, Lord of the Rings stuff. And it did that when those movies came out. So that's whatever. We're close to 20 years from those movies now. But um, uh, from the beginning of those movies. But it did that kind of stuff, which is not like a long form of revenue for the future but now everything's really coming from its core ip which is this warhammer 40,000 primarily it does other things but uh so yeah it, i just like it a lot it got incredibly expensive though and we can look at the stock yeah, chart but why do you think it's still expensive it looks like i mean it's i mean assuming bloomberg's right it's 14 times earnings how many times book is it uh do they have price nine times but i mean how is much that, times how much time sales is it nine uh four times four times Okay, and then also let's look at the past. Uh, let's look at that um, uh, the article we just had, right? So if we yeah. look at the article we just had, the problem is, right? Let's say it's at what do we say, fourteen times earnings or something? Yeah, that's fourteen times this year's earnings. But let's look at what net, what was net income three or four or five years ago. Uh, let's see if I can find it on the thing. Uh, Twelve million, eight million, sixteen million, fourteen okay. million. So let's say it would, that means that it was about 15 million or so on average. It's now doing 60 million or, or something incredible like that. What is it doing? Is that right? Yep, 60 million. Yeah. So we're saying it's four times more. So, yes, it's 14 times this year's earnings, you know, the trailing earnings. Okay. But on the other hand, it's 50 sometimes uh, the earnings of a few years ago. 
it, that's okay if you have an incredibly fast growing company. So like if you just think about it. But can't you make the story. argument though? Because you said that you and Qual were going to write about it because yeah. you felt like they could earn more, right? And mm -hmm. grow incredibly fast. So isn't this the new business model now, especially with the new CEO? Yeah, and it's great. But I just mean you have to be cautious because for every you know Mickey Mouse or something, there's a Hello Kitty. There's something that grows incredibly fast for a period of time. In some places, it's still very successful. But in other places, you know, it drops off huge as a fad. Um, there are other things that come back and forth. You know, Pokemon has had moments where it's incredibly popular, a little less popular, but it's always been consistently a good IP. Um, I think that, so this is Sherlock Holmes that we're looking yes, at right now. Sherlock Holmes. Uh, this which is, is for, go ahead. Yeah. So it's my, this is my favorite site for finding things on UK stocks. It's a very cheap subscription and hopefully and they, don't, very, they don't mind. That we're hopefully they don't mind <laughs> it's sherlockholmes.com yes uh and sign everyone, up for it. Should, everyone should sign up for it so if we go down here uh and look at the past that it had right um the issue that you have like here let's just look at market cap right so just as a caution for people this company at the bottom in 2008 or whatever or you could just take even the longest ago let's take 2006 so 2006 okay. so 14 years ago or something this company was um one-tenth about the size that it is now in terms of what you're paying. So you're paying 10 times more for this business than it was worth than it, people paid 14 years ago. I think it is being run better now, but I'm not sure that the potential is actually as dramatically different as it was then. Okay, so also yeah. revenue is more than doubled yes. since 10 years ago. And where's, uh, let's see if I can find that income. Where are we at here? We got operating income. I mean, operating income has gone up 10 times. Oh, that's a margin. No, 20 times. Operating profit is up 20 Yeah, times. yeah. I'm trying to find, yeah. where's net income? Oh, so why could you make that case then? That no, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you can't. I'm just saying be careful. And so while I'm, this is very appealing to me as a stock now, you have to have some faith that they're going to be able to maintain the level that they're at now. Um, and that's hard to do with entertainment properties that grow a lot. Uh, they grow in popularity and then there's tendency for them to decrease in popularity. I think this in so many ways is the best company in the area. Um, the, the kinds of things it competes against are very small uh, parts of bigger companies or very small and don't have the resources to grow the way that this company does. And this company is really reinvesting in, in growth. Um, as you can see, for the last 10 years or something, it's always had a return on uh, capital. That means that any growth is very profitable. So I like the company a lot. I just want to caution people that it's in a tremendous growth phase, which can be a fad phase. The other thing I want to caution people with is if people are worried, about, if investors are worried about the sort of short-term earnings outlook and stuff, it will be bad for this company, potentially, because this is a game played in person and it's a game sold through shops. So this is very different from a company that uh, makes video games and that sells um, you know, that makes TV shows and that does a lot of other things where a significant portion of the revenue is not in-person kind of interactions. Um, however, I don't see any reason at all why the earnings power of the company will be diminished after uh, the virus. Got it. What have they done with their capital allocation? Uh, they basically pay out all, earn, all free cash flow and reinvest the rest. So they decide how much they need to grow the business which under this new CEO is a lot uh, more than it was under the old CEO, which seemed to be nothing to me. And then uh, once they do that, once they retain the earnings they feel they need, which isn't a lot in a business like this, they pay everything out in dividends. So you can see the dividends are tremendous from this company usually. Um, obviously, a very safe company too. Uh, you know, generally has very strong financial position and stuff like that. Um, but 
I'm always cautious. I mean, we can just, if we just look at, um, let's see. Uh, I was going to say, if we looked at like things like EPS growth or something like that, you'd see that uh, it's grown a lot. Okay. It's grown a lot in uh, fairly. Yeah, there we go. So the part that's hard for me to recommend, obviously, is that this is a company that grew earnings by 100% or more for a couple years in a row. Yeah. So if you do a compound annual growth rate on that, it grew earnings per share at rates that far exceed, you know, we talk about Google and Facebook and whatever. I don't know what tech thing you could come up with that grows its earnings faster than this company grew it in the last few years. So that burst is a one-time burst, obviously. They're not going to grow their earnings by those kinds of numbers all the time, but they're not that expensive um, compared to this past year's growth. I think the stock could fall more. I'm interested in buying them at a lower price. I would use EV to sales. That would be the number that I would focus on, which is and high what, for this company. I was going to say, what would that multiple have to look like for you to be interested? Well, it's at, uh, let's say, so we can look at the operating margin. So if we look at the operating margin uh, and we say, okay, let's take more recent years maybe. So it had an operating margin that was very low uh, you know, over 10 years ago. But if we just take the last 10 years or something like that, or then you're having an operating margin that's ranged from, I don't know, 12% to 30-some percent. Uh, I, the company's probably capable of achieving an operating margin of 30%. I don't know if they intend to do that forever. Uh, I read some things written by the CEO and talked about you know, some possibilities that of, um, uh, you know, about what would happen with margins and stuff. But that's possible. So I would think that you don't – I don't really know if I want to pay an above-average price for the company at a time when other stocks are getting so cheap. So I would think that if you really believe it can have a 30% operating margin, you don't want to pay more than three times sales. If you think it can have somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's say, a 15 to 30% margin, you don't know which is right, then you want to pay between one and a half times um, sales and three times sales. So we're still, what is that? We need a decline of 30% or something before I would say the stock looks really cheap to me. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's very possible. I think it's very possible the stock could drop by 30%. It depends on how, I don't know how investors are going to react in this stock or many others to when they come out and have terrible earnings for a while. You know, that hasn't happened yet. Companies yeah. haven't actually come out and said, we lost money. Um, you know, you know how there's usually the on, you know, CNBC or whatever, analysts were expecting this, they missed by this much. There's not going to be any missing by this much. There's just going to be analysts didn't predict <laughs> anything for this quarter. Here's how much the company lost. And so what happens when the PE ratios all disappear? For a lot of companies, you know, they they won't have a PE because there'll be no E, which is often the best time to buy a company. So that will be the exciting thing for value investors. But for other people, I don't know how they will react to our loss was X amount of EPS uh, per share. You know, we lost $3 per share. We lost whatever per share. Uh, how they'll react and reprice the stock off of that since they can no longer talk about like PE ratios. Those will go away for a lot of companies this year. Got it. That's interesting. So yeah, for everybody that wants to get access to this write-up, uh, go to focuscompound.com. Do you have any general thoughts on the business? I mean, so it sounds like obviously you like it. It'll be one that we follow, put on the watch list. And if it reaches that three times sales, um, that's something that you'd be definitely interested in. Yes, it would be. Uh, I should point out, this is not really an overlooked stock. It was once an overlooked stock. When I first started learning about it, it was overlooked. But now it's pretty popular stock. It, I think it attracted a lot of more growth investors and people you know, love the compounders and that sort of thing. So, uh, it, you know, and it's a billion dollar, uh, well over a billion. In US dollars, it would be 1.2 something billion um, uh, stock, I, I guess. So it's not an overlooked stock, but it is one that we like a lot and that I will watch. I have no plans to buy it anywhere near this price. But 
I'm very, very interested in following it. And it's one to add like permanently to learn about the stock and consider it in the future if it gets really cheap. Got it. Consider in the future. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself. I am Jeff. How's it been working in your pajamas last couple of days? Uh, I don't actually wear pajamas. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> well, I've been enjoying working in my, my pajamas. But I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Thumbs this video up. We are the number one value investing podcast in the world. We are trying to pump out as much content as possible. Again, thank you so much for bearing with us. Uh, obviously, we're doing this over the air, and we're trying to make the quality as best as possible. Go to FocusCompound.com and make sure you enter in your email to get that free Focus Compounding daily via uh, email by Jeff and myself with uh, an investing topic. And we are going to be sending those out at four o'clock Eastern, the market close every single day, Monday through Friday. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you in the next podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn. And that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompound.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along.